Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. I want to um, revisit briefly to prepare us for today's installment of this teaching some of the uh, concepts that we've covered in our previous discussion about faith comes, faith comes. And our emphasis is on uh, the understanding so that we can put it to work in our life. Understanding how faith comes because this is not rocket science. This is applicable for all of us at every level. And so I want to go back and, and just lay a little bit of our foundation again from Romans chapter 10. And we're going to look at verse 17. We being a faith building church, we already have a lot of understanding and concepts about faith. We know that the just shall live by faith. We know that that is something that the Holy Spirit has repeated in the Scripture. And if He says it once, it's important. But when He says it three times, we should really give emphasis. The just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. Faith. We know that faith pleases God. It says, without faith it is impossible to please Him. For those who come unto God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. So we know the importance of faith. We know that faith is our style of life. It is the manner of our life. We live by faith. That faith is something that is every day. Every day is a faith day. Every day. There's not a day that goes by that you don't access your faith in some way or another. You are using your faith in your daily activities. You, whether you realize it or not, you are applying faith. You are, you are activating faith. And so because it's something that we are continually pulling out or withdrawing, we need to know how to continually deposit it so that we have a continual supply of faith. We should not be caught unawares and find ourselves having, uh, uh, having to stop and, and go get faith. If we listen, the Holy Spirit will help us and prepare us so that we can have in our spirit a supply because there are, there are things, let's say for instance, the name of Jesus. We need to know that that is something I will access faith for continually. So I should be listening to sermons that talk about the, the authority in Jesus' name, 
the, uh, the uh, release of Jesus' name, when I exercise and say in the name of Jesus, letting those scriptures continually feed me in those areas because we use the name of Jesus in almost every prayer. Do y'all use? I use in almost every prayer I pray. In the name of Jesus is somewhere in that prayer. So because I'm accessing that, I should be very strong in my faith. But that doesn't come. Faith doesn't come by knowing. How does faith come? So if there, and hearing by what? So it's not just my knowing it. It's not just my previously having heard it. There needs to be a constant hearing about the authority in Jesus' name, that God has given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of our God and Father. Those scriptures contain the faith. Those scriptures contain the strength and the confidence so that when I say in the name of Jesus, it doesn't come out sounding like breaker, breaker, one, nine. That was the way that we would come on the CB radio when, I would, when Daddy would be taking us up to, to East Tennessee to visit our family. We'd get on that radio and we'd say, Breaker, Breaker, 1-9. And I had no idea what it meant, but I knew I had to say it when I started the talk because that's how you break into the channel, right? And so a lot of times because people haven't built faith, in the authority of Jesus' name or the, the uh, governing power of Jesus' name, they're just using Jesus' name like a dear God. Sincerely, me. The opening of the prayer or the closing of the prayer and there's not an authoritative, confident faith in it. So that's one application. That's just one example of things that we need to know when it comes out of my mouth. It's coming out with, out of a heart filled with faith concerning that area. So Romans 10, verse 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This actually begins with the word, so then. So then is a word that is referring to explanation that has preceded this phrase, so then. So then, would have, what would happen if I walked up to Sister Tracy, who uh, maybe I haven't seen all week long, and I say, so then, the answer to that question, so then, <laughs> wait a minute, what was, did I miss the first part of this conversation? Did you send me a text I didn't get? She would be expecting that something preceded the so then. Right? So in the preceding verses, it says, verse 13, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, rescued, delivered, liberated, preserved. That's the end result. Step back one step in the process. How shall they call in, on him in whom they have not believed? So before they can call... They have to believe. Step back one more step. How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? So before they can call, they have to believe. But before they believe, they have to hear. How shall they hear without a preacher? So before they can call, they have to believe. And before they believe, they have to hear. And before they hear, there has to be someone proclaiming it. How shall they preach or proclaim except they be sent? 
So before they can call, they have to believe. And before they believe, they have to hear. And before they hear, someone has to be proclaiming it. And before someone could be proclaiming it, they have to be sent by God. Amen? That's the so then. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So God sends someone to proclaim the word. And in the proclaiming of the word, there's a hearing. And in the hearing, faith comes. And because of that hearing, they believe. And because they believe, they call. Hallelujah. So the process requires the word accurately being deposited in the heart through the activation of proclaiming it. It has to be proclaimed. Now, here's the thing we've learned with the parable of the sower. The sower sows the word. Mark chapter 4, the sower sows the word, right? Same word, same sower. Four different types of ground. Only one of them was productive. So the word was the same in the three unproductive grounds. The sower was the same in the three unproductive grounds. The condition of the heart determined if the seed came to its fruition and brought forth a harvest. Amen? But in every one of those four types of soil, they all heard the word. There was a sower who sowed the word. It doesn't have to be somebody else sowing the word into your heart. You also can take and give voice to the word and sow it into your heart. You also can be responsible to put specific word into your heart for a specific harvest. If you need a harvest of peace, take scriptures that pertain to your peace, sow them in the soil of the heart, and then guard them, keep them, hold them, retain them until they bring forth a fullness of that peace in your life. Amen? So the, the word in the heart is the key element. It's not the only element, but it is the principal base element. The word in the heart. Now the word got in the heart of those types of soil that did not bring forth, but we can learn and cultivate our hearts so that our, our hearts don't have rocks of offense. We don't, we don't get easily offended, but we grow in love. We can cultivate our hearts so that we're not a wayside soil kind of heart, that it goes in one ear and out the other. But we can hear it with the intent to do it. We can hear it. We can give our attention to it. Matthew 13 identifies that they did not understand it. When the word of the kingdom comes forth and they did not understand it, the enemy came at once to steal it. So I can bring my understanding. How do I get my understanding to it? I give it attention. The more attention I give, isn't that what Mark 4 goes on to say? The more attention that you give to the truth that you hear, hallelujah, to the measure of thought and study that you give to the truth that you hear, this will determine the amount of the harvest that comes back from that which you're giving your attention to. So that's how I... I make sure that I don't become wayside soil. I learn how to give my attention to it. I practice my attention. Oh, honey, when I first got saved, about 15 minutes into the service, they, I was lost because I was, my attention span was so short. 
that I mean, I needed a commercial. I had been, I had been, I, I needed a commercial because that's what commercials do. They break your attention span, and then when it comes back, you got to get back in. Well, my church service, they didn't have any commercials. And one day the, the preacher was preaching and I, my mind wandered off and I, oh, I need to get back to it. And I jumped in with an amen at the wrong place and everybody knew I wasn't listening because if I had been listening, I wouldn't have amened when I amened. It was the wrong place for an amen. And so I had to develop my attention span. I had to learn and taking notes helped me. Taking notes, going in my Bible and highlighting in my Bible helped me because it made me pay attention to it and learn where, where it was in the Scripture and it helped me when I wanted to come back and find it because I'd already marked it and I'd put little notes out there by it. And so that helped me pay attention so that the Word got into my heart. So the Word in the heart is the base element for faith. I've got to hear it. It's got to be voice activated. I've got to get that word in the heart. It can be my voice. It can be the voice of my pastor. It can be the voice on our podcast, whatever, whatever means, but the word getting in the heart. And then I've got to allow that word to have its work in me. And so we looked at a, a couple of different things. I'm not going to rehearse everything because you can go back and, and listen to the previous installments of Faith Comes. But we looked at how it said in Acts chapter 11, God had given an instruction uh, through an angel to a man named Cornelius to call for Peter. And he said this, that Peter would come and speak words whereby you and your household can be saved. He's going to speak words that by these words being spoken to you, you and your household could be saved. So the word of God can save a person. Now we know from just a, a, a broad picture of we're born again by the incorruptible word of God. We know that we heard the gospel and we, we believed in our heart and confessed with our mouth. But the word was the delivery of that salvation, the vehicle of delivery. It, the, the salvation pulled up in the word, drove into our heart in the word transmitted into my heart by the word and my life was saved, rescued, delivered. So he said, the words are going to be preaching. Isn't that what happened? Isn't that what happened? They were there preaching the word and as he was preaching the word, they got saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. They were so hungry. They were so desirous of God that even as the word was being preached, the power of God came on them. Amen? And so uh, these words can cause salvation to come. We know that there was a man in Acts chapter 14 that as Paul was preaching, this man, this man didn't have hands laid on him. This man didn't have a healing anointing imparted to him. It wasn't the anointing in the room. It says... He heard Paul preach. He heard Paul preach. 
and that Paul looked at him and said, you have faith to be healed. He recognized that this man had faith to be healed and he gave him a a faith command and the man responded to that command. But the faith to be healed came by the hearing. By the hearing. He heard and the, the words that he heard were vehicles that transported the rescue he needed the, the liberation he needed, the deliverance he needed, it transported that healing into his heart and he had faith in his heart to be healed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So by hearing the gospel, what is contained in the gospel can be transmitted or transported into our life. So we see that's how faith comes. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We also know that it says in, for instance, uh, let's look together at uh, Romans chapter 12 and verse 13. I'm sorry, verse 3. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Every believer was dealt this measure of faith in salvation. Hallelujah. We have the capacity for faith. We have the ability to operate faith. And we have the ability to increase in our faith. Because it says in 1 Thessalonians that our faith grows exceedingly as our love abounds. Amen. And so this dealing of faith, this giving or this this, uh, supply of faith is from God. God gives us this measure of faith. Ephesians 2.8 refers to to this giving of faith as well. Ephesians 2, of course we know when it says every man, he's talking about every believer. Ephesians 2 and verse 8. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is the gift of God. So faith is dealt, faith is given, and faith comes. Faith is dealt, faith is given, and faith comes. We have the capacity of the faith of God. We have the ability to operate the faith of God. And because He has given it, because He's dealt it, because it comes by the hearing of the Word, then we have the responsibility to develop it. We have the responsibility to take what has been given to us, what has been dealt to us, and put it to work in our lives. Amen? And this faith, again, connected to my heart activity, is the way that we live. It is the the, uh, way that we walk out the, the plan of God. We live by faith. We live by faith. So as we recognize the responsibility, if faith has been given to me, faith has been dealt to me, faith comes by hearing, God, it says, 
without faith it's impossible to please him. God's not going to make my faith be something I am. God's given me everything to do it with, but I've got to be the one who takes him at his word and puts that faith to work and begins to operate my life by faith and to live out and, and not get to a coasting faith, but, but put myself in a position of constantly applying faith and growing in faith and increasing my faith for his glory. For his glory. Would any of you have been uh, blessed by Victory Channel? Been blessed by, by the faith of, of Kenneth Copeland? Well, the, his faith started with gas money. He needed gas money to get in his uh, station wagon from one city to the next. But he has never let his faith just coast. He continually adds to that faith and grows that faith and puts it on another project. Amen. Praise the Lord. Our pastor, yeah. Pastor Caldwell, yeah. the faith that he ha and Sister Jeannie have exhibited and demonstrated for us in building their building debt-free, in starting a, a television network that spans this, uh, this state and now reaches through the Roku channel and through the YouTube channel across the world. Yeah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. That, that faith started with them in their singing ministry just going from town to town. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So that application of faith, we can continually put it to work for, for God's plan and God's purposes. Amen? Amen? The Mark 11 verse, the instruction Jesus gives us, I, I, now that we have that as our foundation... I want us to look a little more specifically about the heart or the spirit because this is all in the heart. And I have endeavored over this teaching to continually take us away from the mental, away from the head and away from the emotions and point back to the importance of believing with the heart. Believing with the heart because it feels different. It feels different. Faith is not hard, but it is different if you have been living by your emotions or living by sight. If a person has been walking by sight, they think sometimes that when they start walking by faith, they think it's hard because it's different. But it's really not hard because the Word does the work. My job is to put the Word in the heart. My job is not to make it happen. My job is not to, to make a miracle happen or to make uh, a, a breakthrough happen. That's not my job. My job is to put the Word in the heart, put the Word in the heart. My job is to have an abundance of the Word in the, because it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks words of faith. If I don't have the Word in abundance in the heart, then my, what's coming out of my mouth may not be filled with faith. If, I'm, if I have half word and half problem in my heart, if, if you could take the words that come out of your mouth and put them through a scanner and, and let that scanner reveal to you how much faith is in that word and how much hope is in that word or how much doubt is in that word or how much filler is in that word because a lot of times we have filler in our mouth 
things we don't mean, things that don't mean anything. Oh, I laughed till I thought I was going to die, and that tickled me to death, and, and uh, just things that you really don't mean it. It's not coming out of your heart of faith, and that's why some people don't see Mark eleven twenty three working effectively because they don't believe they things, the things that they say come to pass. Because if they did, they wouldn't say that cost them an arm and a leg. They would not say that. Why? Because if I believe the things I say come to pass, that is a part of developing the heart. And When we read this verse here in verse 23, let's read this understanding. Jesus is teaching us this is the the person that has become proficient and developed in their faith. This is how it will work for them. So this is the goal that all of us need to achieve. This is the standard that all of us need to bring our proficiency to. That I want to be working my faith to the point that when I speak to the mountain and give it a command, I speak to the adversity and I tell it what it will do, that I will not doubt in my heart, but I will believe that the things that I say, because I just spoke the end result that I want to that situation, then I'm going to believe and not doubt, but believe that the things I say come to pass, I will have the thing that I say. I'm not... I'm not saying it because I have it. I'm saying it because that's what I want to have. But I've got to say it to have it. And I've got to say it out of a heart that has an abundant supply, not of emotion, not of, not of hope or desire. That's part of it. I need the hope in the building of faith. The first process of building faith is that hope. I've got the hope, but then I'm going to let faith give substance to the thing I hope for. I'm going to let faith continue its work until there's substance to my hope. Until I'm not just hoping, but I am believing in that hope. I believe I have. I have. that. There's a, a switch that takes place when the fullness of faith hits the, the, the tank. The tank hits full. It, it switches over so that there begins to have a, a confident declaration of the end in the mouth. I have it. I, I, I'm not believing to have it. I'm not hoping to have it. I'm not waiting to have it. And, it, and listen, we don't just say it to try to convince ourselves. We just put the word into the word, puts it in our mouth. I'm not talking about you getting the right confession so that it sounds like you're saying it. I'm talking about you getting your, your word, heart, your heart so filled with the word that you can't help it. It just comes out your mouth. Isn't that what Gloria Copeland has told us all these years? Just comes out your mouth. Just, it's just so much word in the heart that it fills my mouth. I'm not trying to make my word sound a certain way. I'm just trying to get my heart full. My heart's going to make my words sound the way they need to sound if my heart is full. That's what we're looking at. So let's talk about the heart. Mark 11, verse 23. He said, For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say, 
unto this mountain, be thou removed, be cast into the sea, shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe. So he says, this person who will say a command, say the end result of what is wanted, and then not doubt in the heart. That is an action. Doubt is a verb here. Not verbally. The verb is doubt. Don't allow the doubt action in the heart. So doubt's not a feeling, and doubt's not a thought. Doubt is, a, it's like a reverse motor. It's like if you took a motor that's supposed to be going in one direction, and you were able to reverse that motor. Doubt's going to take it in the wrong direction. But don't, it, so it's possible for us to develop our heart that we refuse to allow it to doubt. That we, we don't let it kick back into reverse gear. That we keep our heart moving in the direction of faith. That we keep it in the faith mode and don't allow it to doubt. And then it says, but shall believe that those things which he says shall come to pass. So I'm believing that. He shall have whatsoever he says. Hallelujah. So do you see? It's in the heart. It's in the heart. In the heart. Shall believe in the heart and shall not doubt in the heart. So the words that I say are coming out of a heart that is in the correct mode of faith and believing and it's not allowing a reversal of that operation. It's in the heart. Hallelujah. So the heart, your heart, Another word for the heart of a believer is the spirit. Your heart is your spirit. Your spirit is your heart. We're talking about the core of your being. We're talking about the center of who you are as a believer. You are not your mind. You are not your body. You are not your emotions. You are not uh, those. Those are all parts of you, but they aren't the real you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23 says the uh, spirit, soul, and body. That God would, would uh, keep you spirit, soul, and body. Hallelujah. In that order, spirit, not body and soul, not, not soul, body, and spirit. No, spirit is in the list first because this should be the dominant flow from our life. That my born-again spirit, my reborn human spirit is governing my mind, my will, and my emotions, which is my soul, and dictating the activity of my body. My spirit is indwelt by the Spirit of God. My spirit is the lamp of the Lord. Our, our born-again spirit has to have the ascendancy over the soul and over the body. This is key to walking by faith because if the body wants to look at what it feels like, if the emotions want to... Uh, revert back to, to those emotional responses. 
we've got to have our spirit who will respond correctly to God. My spirit always wants to obey the instruction of God, always wants to follow the guiding of the Holy Spirit. So the spirit of man, the heart of man, in the place governing over the soul and the body by the Word and the Spirit of God in us. Amen? Romans chapter 2. I want to look at, at some phrases in this because I, I want us to um, see that our spirit, our heart can be developed and educated in the things of God. And it's not just going to happen because you're saved. It's not just going to happen because you are a member of a church. I remember when we first became pastors at the church in uh, DeSoto, Kansas. There, had, uh, there were a, a sweet, sweet, two sweet women that I think of had been saved years and years and years and years. I mean, just loved God, came to church, brought their families to church. But we began preaching the Word of God, and I remember one of those ladies said to me, she said, I feel like I'm being brainwashed, and it's so good. <laughs> she was the same one who came to me and said, now, we can't pray for patience because God will bring all kinds of trouble our way. See, she had been in church. She had been in a lot of religious teaching that told her you can't pray for patience because God will bring you all kinds of trouble to teach you patience. She had never been taught that patience was a fruit of the reborn human spirit and that it flowed out of the life of God in our spirit. Amen? And so it was, she was in church, but she wasn't growing because she wasn't feeding on the Word. And, and I tell you what, she was one who got a hold of the Word and just became such a, 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 a vital part of the body of Christ because as she grew, she found her place and... and, and, and touched many lives as a result of it. So the development of our heart is not automatic just because we're saved. The educating of our human, reborn human spirit is not automatic just because we're born again. We've got to desire the sincere milk of the Word so that we can grow thereby. We've got to allow the Word of God to help us mature and develop and become educated in the things of God. So Romans chapter 2, I want to look at some verses here to identify the heart and the spirit. Romans 2 and 28 says, For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit. Now that's the phrase I want us to look at. Of the heart in the spirit. So the Holy Spirit here as he is giving a voice to this scripture. The Holy Spirit is identifying the heart and the spirit as interchangeable. In the heart of the spirit. Of the heart in the spirit. Of the heart in the spirit. That's where the circumcision is. That's where the cutting away is. That's where the commitment is. And it's the heart, the spirit of man. Uh, another phrase for us to look at is found in Jesus' teaching in John 3. John 3 and verse 6. He is talking about the new birth here. And they were 
thinking in the natural and he was speaking of the spirit. And so they were confused because they said, how can I enter into my mother's womb again? I'm full grown. And so Jesus is identifying the spiritual birth. He says in verse, uh, let's talk, begin in five. Verily I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. That which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. My center column reference says born from above. You must be born again. You must be born from above. We're talking about the spiritual birth. The wind blows where it lists and you hear the sound thereof, but you cannot tell from where it comes or where it goes. So you can see wind in the effect that it has, but you can't literally see wind. You can't literally see where that wind came from. You can just tell by the effect that it's having the, 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 um, the change that it's making on that environment. Amen. And then he said, and so is everyone that is born of the spirit. You can see the change in their life when they get born again. You can see by, you can't see the wind, but you can see what the wind does as it's blowing. And you can't see the new birth. That person can walk up in, in, the, in one condition, and if you're looking at the outside, their hair didn't change, their clothes didn't change, their, their uh, uh, eye color didn't change. But they were born again. If they accepted Jesus as Lord, you can't see it until they start living out their life from that position of who they are in Christ. Amen? And then you can see that new birth. So he says, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So the new birth is the rebirth of the human spirit. So, you know, I'll tell you what helped me the most is when I understood what spiritual death meant. Because up until I read E.W. Kenyon's explanation of spiritual death, I thought spiritual death was kind of like what I always thought physical death was. They just, like a cessation of life. Of course, I know now that physical death is is different as well. But, But when I understood spiritual death means separated from the life of God. You can still be very much physically alive. Adam was. For, for it says he lived like 900 and something years separated from God. Right? And it says in Ephesians chapter 2 that we were all dead in trespass and sins. But now we're alive unto God. So we were dead in trespasses and sins while we were still walking and talking and, and sucking air. But we were dead because we were separated from the life of God. So when he says, you must be born again, the spirit of man has to receive the life of God so that we can begin uh, experiencing his plan and access his resources, the faith, the victory, the life of God, the peace of God, the joy of the Lord. All of those are accessed by the reborn human spirit. Amen? Amen. So this 
uh, new birth is the beginning, but that's not the only activity of our human spirit that is born again. John chapter 4, Jesus said we can worship in spirit. Verse 24 of John 4, God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. With my spirit, with my heart, with my spirit, with my heart, and in truth. So truth tells me I can bring the Word in my worship. Because Thy Word is truth. Amen? So those who worship, our worship isn't the outward. And that was the argument that this woman had. She was arguing about the location of the worship. And there are people who argue about the, the outward form of the worship. But any outward manifestation is only valid to God if it starts by an inward flow, a desire of my heart. Out of my heart, I'm worshiping Him. Out of my spirit, I'm worshiping Him. That's why I say that in our rejoicing, we can bring things to God that unbelievers can't bring to Him. In our praises, we can say things to Him that nobody outside of relationship with Him can say. I mean... I have a relationship with my husband and I can say things to him that no other woman on this planet has a legal right to say to him. They might try, but it's not going to last long. (laughs) They don't have a legal right to say that. And you know what? It wouldn't be from their heart because they don't know him the way I know him and they don't love him the way I love him. Only I can tell him that. Only I can give him that. And in the same way, you and I are the only ones. You, nobody can give your praise for you. Right. Nobody can worship God for you because nobody has what's in your heart for Him. Yeah. Worshiping Him from our heart in spirit and in truth. Amen. It also, talking about spiritual activity in 1 Corinthians 14, says that our spirit can pray. Our spirit or our heart can pray even without our head being involved. Even without our mind. I don't need my mind to pray if I have the help of the Holy Spirit because it says in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 14, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. So it is possible for us to pray out of our heart, out of our spirit, without our understanding knowing how or what we're praying about. My spirit prays even though my understanding is unfruitful. Notice verse 15. What is it then? I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with the understanding also. Now here's one. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. So I can pray, and I can sing with my Spirit, whether I'm using my understanding or not, because the Holy Spirit helps us in that singing and in that praying. Hallelujah. Now, even if I am using my understanding, that doesn't mean it's not coming from my Spirit. Okay? If, if I am using my understanding, for instance, I do not do all of my praying in tongues 
because there are some things I know how I should pray. There are some things God has already told us how we should pray. The Holy Spirit wants to help us in those areas that we don't know how to pray as we ought. So he wants me to bring my authority in prayer to the things I do understand. That's still coming from my heart. But I'm not limited. If I come to an end in my understanding and my heart is still hungry to pray, my heart still has that urge to say something, I don't have to stop because my understanding has run out. I can now lean on the help of the Holy Spirit and it's still my spirit with His help praying the mystery to God, the perfect will of God about that situation. Amen? Glory to God. That's coming out of my spirit. So I can, I can worship God in spirit. I can sing in spirit. I can pray with my spirit. Hebrews chapter 12, it brings a, a comparison between the way that man and God interacted in the old covenant versus the new covenant. In Hebrews 12, we'll begin reading in verse 18. For you are not come unto the mount that might be touched, uh, that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. Well, that was how they responded to the presence of God coming down on that mountain in the Old Testament. They said, Moses, you go to God. We don't want to hear it. God thought they would come running. He said, now you make sure they don't rush me because I don't want anybody to get hurt. God thought for sure they are going to love me so much. They are going to be so desiring my presence that when I come down in my glory and in my presence, they are going to race towards me. So warn them, don't anybody run toward me. But you know what they did? They said, we don't want to hear it. Moses, you go. You hear for us. That's not the approach we have to God. That's not the, because we're not in the position they were in or in the condition they were in. They were not alive unto God. They were not born again in their spirit. Their spirit was full of, of, of spiritual death. They were disconnected from God. Their interaction was through the blood of animals. It was a limited. They had to keep their distance. But that's not our interaction with God. It says, You are come unto Mount Sion and unto the city of a living God, that heavenly Jerusalem and to the innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven and the God and to God the judge of all and to the spirits of just men made perfect. I want to look at that phrase for just a moment. The spirits of just men made perfect. You know, we've talked a lot about that word perfect. That word perfect doesn't mean without flaw. It doesn't mean uh, incapable of error. This word perfect means matured or developed. The spirits of men who are justified. 
This is the group we're in. This is the congregation we stand in. Hallelujah. The congregation of the just. We are the ones who are washed in the blood. We are the ones who have that, that song that we sing to the Lamb of God at the throne. You have washed us in your blood. You have washed us and made us, made us kings and priests unto our God. We are the just men made perfect, made developed. So do you see this, this life of God in our spirit? Then we bring our application of the word, becoming a doer of the word, so that we grow in the things of God, educated in the things of God, developed in the things of God. Hallelujah. Second Corinthians chapter 4. And verse 16 talks about our spirit, our born-again human spirit. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. The inward man. This is how God refers to your spirit. The inward man. This is one of the phrases He uses so that you can see who I am. You have never seen me. Sister Teresa, you have never seen me. You've seen my mobile home. But you've never seen me because I am a spirit. This takes a renewing of the mind for us to to make the distinction that I am not the physical body, I am not my emotions, I am alive unto God, the spirit man, the inward man is who I am. The real me is the inward man. The real me, the real me is my spirit. Because, hallelujah, this, he says, is renewed Day by day. The inward man is renewed day by day. He uses a phrase in 1 Corinthians 9. The Apostle Paul uses a phrase in 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 27 that also helps us to recognize this distinction. 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 27. He says, I keep under my body and I bring it into subjection. I is the real me, the inward man. I, the inward man. I, the born-again spirit. I, the one who is alive unto God. I bring under or keep under my body and I bring it into subjection. Hallelujah. So notice the difference between the it and the I. The I is the real me. So we see that the instruction in the New Testament is that saved people have to do something with their body. I, the born again, saved, alive unto God, purchased with the blood person, I have to keep my body in line. I've got to do something with my body, right? 
It also says in Romans chapter 12 that the born again, saved, alive unto God, inward man, real you, you have to renew your mind. Romans 12. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. So if I'm presenting my body, I, the real me, am the one presenting and yielding my body to obey. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So I've got to do something with my mind. I've got to do something with my body. I've got to do something with my mind. Amen. So this, this recognition of the difference between who I am as a born-again inward man, the real me, this is, this is necessary for our development. And as we operate faith for you to know the difference between the emotional desire for something to say I'm in faith about something because you really want it or because you really need it and that that emotional part then to make that distinction am I full of faith in my heart about that that's why we're looking at what we're looking at because for us to know the difference and to recognize the renewing of the mind is my responsibility keeping my body under is my responsibility the operation of faith I've got to be cognizant to the point that I can identify, am I in faith or not? The Apostle Paul said, examine yourself to see if you be in the faith. Examine. There's a self-examination. He says when there's faith, if there's joy and peace in believing, if there's not joy and there's not a flow of peace, then according to Scripture, the believing is not correct. Because if I'm in the believing flow, there's going to be a symptom of joy and a symptom of peace. And I need to be spiritually mature enough to recognize if I don't have the joy, if I don't have the peace, I've got some attention to redirect to the Word until my heart gets full again. And if my heart is full then I'll have that believing flow that will have the symptoms of joy and peace with it. Hallelujah. So this is why we must learn how to train our heart, that we must learn how to develop and educate our spirit. Our born-again spirit can be educated in the things of God. Our born-again spirit can grow in the things of God. And we're going to end with this thought here from... um, First close, Hebrews 12, 23. I'm watching the clock. Hebrews 12, 23. Not that we're, we're dictated to by it, but I just want to have respect for you can only handle so much till you get hungry. Hebrews 12 and verse 23 says, uh, uh, again, the spirits of just men made perfect. That perfection is what we're looking for. That developing, that educating. And that's what Ephesians 4 talks about. Uh, When he goes through and talks about the gifts that are given unto men, the pastors, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and teachers, and pastors, those gifts are given, Ephesians 4.12 says, for the perfecting of the saints. 
for the perfecting of the saints. Spiritual offices to help spiritual development. Spiritual trainers to help spiritual people be trained. Amen? And not the, not the when I say spiritual trainers, the offices, the, the people in the offices need to develop themselves in the office just the way, in the same way. Because a pastor who has been, been diligent in applying themselves in the office of the pastor, for instance, like Pastor Caldwell, he has a flow of his office that he can speak words and you just feel safe. That's the office. That's not just his personality, although we honor and respect his personality. There's a supernatural supply in that office to bring stability to the sheep. Safety. Amen? That, uh, he's operated in that office and developed in it. Amen. In the same way, we all have a developing that we are in a different stage of development. And the more we apply ourselves, the greater development is taking place. So it says here, for the perfecting of the saints. It uses the phrase edifying of the body. It uses the phrase in verse 13, uh, till we come in the unity of the faith, uh, faith of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. There's that word perfect again, developed. Gone through a process of development. And then Hebrews chapter 5 talks as well about this stage. And this will be my final close. Hebrews 5, let's look at verses 12 through 14. Because you can't separate your faith life from the other areas of development in your life. You cannot separate the development of your faith from the other spiritual developments in your life. I mean, if, when you really look at Mark eleven twenty three, for a person to operate at that level of faith, they have to have a renewed mind to cast down imaginations. They have to be skilled with the weapons of their warfare to cast down imaginations because that's what you have to do so that you don't doubt in your heart. You've got to cast down imaginations. You've got to take every thought captive. You've got to bring into captivity every thought that tries to exalt itself against the knowledge of God. You've got to have the peace of God that passes all understanding, guarding your heart and mind, and whatsoever things are good, and whatsoever things are lovely, and whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any praise, if there be any... So you've got to be skilled there, don't you? You've got to be skilled in, in these other areas so you can't separate your faith development from your spiritual development. They are connected. So because faith works by love, nobody's going to have great faith until they grow in love because that's the safety on the gun right there. I mean, you can do a lot of, of, of powerful things with faith. Faith, faith is a, a dynamic weapon, but God put a safety on it. It won't work if without the love to power it. Well, see, so this development... Sometimes people are trying to get faith in this area and they say, well, I just need more faith. I just need more faith. I just need more faith. In actuality, what they need is to grow in love, to abound in love because their faith is fine. It's just not able 
to operate without, a, a, without being plugged in. It is, it is love dependent. So we cannot separate our spiritual development from our faith development. They are connected. So when we see here in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, for when, for the time, you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. Or you could say going back to the basic foundations of the teachings of God. They should be able to teach it. They, are, they have heard enough and have been around it long enough that they should have been able to not only do it, but if you're a teacher of it, you know how to tell people how to do it. If you're skilled enough to be able to explain it, you can definitely do it yourself. Amen? And, and even better to be able to help people know. You know, I, I needed my grandma to show me how she made biscuits. Because I tried a lot of biscuits and they came out ugly. My biscuits never came out right until my grandmother showed me how she... And when I copied what she did, when she taught me how she did it, they came out looking completely different. I mean, I know why I had cat head biscuits because that's all I could do. You know what a cat head biscuit is? It comes out looking like a cat head because you don't know how to make them look pretty. But my grandma said if it looks pretty, it tastes better. My grandma said if it, if the, if it looks pretty, honey, it tastes better. And so, yeah, she, she, she had to teach me. Amen. Because she knew how. And then it says, they should be teaching, but now they need to be taught again those basic principles. And they are become such as have need of milk. Now this is something, a spiritual truth. This is spiritual truth. It is possible for a person to be saved a number of years and not grow. It is possible for them to go backward in their growth. Because he said, you have become. They weren't. They should have been something different, but they became in need of the basic principles again. So our responsibility to stay in this place of perfecting, of edification, of growing, that's one of the reasons for the assembling of ourselves together. That's one of the reasons for the local church. God gave the church to help us grow for discipleship. Jesus is the head of the church. He's the head of the church. He's moving in His church, the body, which is the fullness of Him that fills all in all. He's the one who fills, but where's He filling? In the church, the body. The church, the body. Amen? So this, this development is necessary and it's by the word. He said you, you should be able to explain the word but now you have need to go back to those beginning principles of the word and the word, we're going to take you back to the milk of the word because it's the word that's going to help you develop. It's the word that's going to help you grow. It's the, the receiving of the word and the acting on the word. Notice for everyone that uses milk is unskillful 
in the word of righteousness, for he is a baby. So there are born again people. Every person born of God needs to develop. And in the beginning, we were all babies. We were all at a place of spiritual immaturity. And the, and the word of God was milk to us. We could not have understood some of the more applicable workings of the word. We just had to come on the milk and get those basics and get those fundamentals and lay that structure and that foundation for our life. But then God wants to be able to move us into greater understandings and greater applications of the word so that we can see and, and apply the word. He says, strong meat belongs to them who are of full age. And my center column reference says perfect. So this word perfect is talking about maturity. Those who are of maturity, strong meat belongs to those who are of a spiritual maturity. Not talking about years of age. It's talking about a spiritual maturity of the inward man. Strong meat. I want, I want to be able to eat some strong meat. I want to be able to understand. And if you look at the, what brought this remark on, he said, I have so much more to say about the order of Melchizedek, but you're dull of hearing. <laughs> what could we know today about the order of Melchizedek if they had been a little more spiritually mature? There were truths that could not be uttered to them because they could not receive it. Amen. So he says, strong meat belongs to those who are mature, of full age, even those, this is a definition of spiritual maturity, those who by reason of use, or you could say by doing the word, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Hallelujah. That spiritual maturity is played out or evidenced in the way we walk and live our lives. Nobody has to come and tell me to turn off filth off my TV. Nobody has to tell me. I, and the Holy Spirit doesn't even have to tell me. I know better. I'm not even going to turn it on. I, I've just got to the point, I'm, we're just, if it even... Even a threat that they're going to cuss, I'd just rather not watch it. So we don't get to watch a lot of TV in my house because they cuss all the time. I'm like, if there's a threat that they're going to cuss, I don't want it in my ears. And the Holy Spirit doesn't have to convict me of that. He doesn't have to tell me at every time, don't watch that. I know. My spirit already has been exercised to know that's not worth the hearing. I don't want it. And you see, that's the difference. I remember sitting in a lot of sermons where it was like you were convicted or condemned or they were preaching at you for watching that, watching that, watching that, watch, watch, watch. And I don't need that. I don't need anybody to preach it to me. I've already matured in my walk with God. To I love God and I don't want to hear that. I love God. I don't want to see that. 
I love God. And so the Holy Spirit doesn't have to tell me. My born-again spirit's already at a place to know that is not for me. Amen? And I'm just using an example there, but it could be anything. The Holy Spirit doesn't have to tell me to tithe. I don't, need a, I don't need a word from God to tithe. I don't, I'm, I'm like, I don't need a prophetic word. I don't need God to come up and thus saith the Lord, thou shalt tithe. I know I need to tithe. I don't need the witness of the Spirit. Should I tithe or not tithe? I know it. My senses are discerned. I know what's good. Tithing is good for me. Amen? I know what's good. Walking in love is good for me. Forgiving is good for me. I know what's good. Keeping my mind on, on the Lord. Keeping my mind stayed on Him. Whatsoever things are good and perfect and pure and honest and of good report, I know that's good for me. So I know I don't need to think about that. And I know I don't now. I know, see, that is part of that developing. Hallelujah. That allows us to be able to receive more. Allows us to be able to receive strong meat. And, and that's revelations. And that's understandings. And that is, is insight into the Word of God. Amen? Let's stand to our feet today. Praise the Lord. We're developing our human spirit. Hallelujah. Training and developing and educating our inner man.